So let's start off our uh, examination of this text this morning by asking ourselves one of the most basic questions that we can actually ask when we uh, approach anything that we find in the Bible. And that is, why is this here? Uh, in these verses in particular, this is a relevant question to ask because they stand out rather unusually. I mean, first off, this is already going to be a pretty unusual account, something that at first brush, it looks like we have no analog for in our own lives. But also it stands out just in terms of its timeline. We have Jesus being born, which is recorded for us in the Bible. We have the wise men arriving when he's about two years old and uh, all of the uh, conflict with, uh, with King Herod, uh, the flight to uh, Egypt, the slaughter of the innocents. And then we've got nothing from age two all the way until he's age 30. A 28-year gap in information about Jesus. And that's unusual because you figure that was probably an interesting time. He ran to Egypt to prevent the king from murdering him, eventually came back. He, we have in our text today that he grew in stature amongst uh, uh, God and men. What does this mean? Things must have been happening. It was Jesus. He certainly had an interesting life, and it doesn't tell us anything about it with only one exception. This one account from when he was 12 years old, and he gets left behind at a festival in Jerusalem. His parents have gone up, they have celebrated with their friends and family, and on the march back home, they discover after a little while that Jesus isn't with them. Again, an alien-sounding problem that doesn't sound like it has a ton of relevance to what we do here and now. And yet, out of that 28-year span, the Holy Spirit said, this is something that's so important for believers of all time to see that it got recorded. When we read this, to try to bring out some of maybe that, uh, uh, some of that relevancy for us, I want us to do two different things. First off, while we read it, Really try to put yourself in the shoes of Mary and Joseph and what they must have been feeling. The kind of terror and anxiety that must have come from searching for their son who's missing for three days. Okay, And then when we get to Jesus' response, let's read it as genuine confusion. Okay, So with those two things, that'll help to maybe bring out a little bit of this uh, spirit-intended meaning. Let's take a look, then, at the second chapter of the Gospel of Luke, containing the, the uh, great story of Jesus' birth as well at the beginning. We read at the end, verses 46 to 52, and it says, Now so it was that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, Why did you seek me? 
Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to him. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with men. So Mary and Joseph have a problem. And it is a problem that could hardly seem more alien to us. They have lost the Son of God. I can scarcely imagine what it, I mean, I've lost things before. I've been worried about things before. The most worried about losing something I've ever been was I couldn't see my daughter for like three minutes where she was. Three minutes. And it's probably the most stressed out I've ever been in my entire life. They couldn't find Jesus Christ for three days. It, it, it begs so many questions about what must have been going through their mind. They lost the Son of God. And it's not like they had misplaced concern over this guy. Let's not forget that they had had to run from Herod the Great. He wanted to kill him. He saw Jesus as a challenge to his authority. Now, Herod the Great's dead, of course, but his son, Herod Antipas, it's not like he's a cuddly squishmallow or something, right? This is not a person that they want to be trifling with, and they already know that Jesus has been marked by those powers. Beyond that, this isn't just their son that they love. Their souls depend on this child, as well as the souls of every single family member that they have, and the soul of every single human being who has ever lived, and they can't find him. Anxiety probably doesn't even begin to cover what they uh, must have felt, and you, you and I probably have never known the kind of stress of searching through the group of people that they were traveling with looking for Jesus and not being able to find him running back to Jerusalem searching through buildings and talking to people and not being able to find him going to the biggest city uh, in the country with looking for our missing child with not only his life but our own eternal fate hanging in the balance three days of searching and despair and fear, every moment increasing their hopelessness and panic. So for us, looking at this account, it might genuinely seem a little bit out there, right? Like this is not an experience that I've had, uh, except we, we absolutely have, maybe not with this quite same level of physical intensity but there's certainly been times where we've lost sight of God have you been scared that you're maybe losing your faith have you looked and reached for God when you were in trouble maybe even suffering and not had him right there not felt like you could you could see him Maybe that in a way wasn't being provided out. There were absolutely lot times in life where I've lost sight of God and what's followed has felt like this terrible, frenzied 
search for him where I flail. And it's during those times where I'm going through something and I'm really reaching and looking for, looking for God's hand on a situation where I start to get a little bit like Mary. Look what she says, son, why have you done, to, done this to us? Where I, I will find myself thinking or even saying things like, seriously, how inconvenient would it be for you to show yourself right now? Like, how, how, much, how much would you really be going out of your way? How big of a breach would it really be for you to give me a sign that, that you're watching and that you're with me and that things are going according to some kind of a plan and that I am not just here by myself in the dark flailing around until one day I die in a tragedy and have the world only knows what to look forward to. It sounds like it's something that hits close to home for you. It's definitely something that hits close to home for me. Honestly, I shouldn't admit this, but I did kind of think that when I went to seminary and became a pastor, that these feelings might go away. And, and they didn't. These desperate times, these, these thoughts and fears and questions and doubts, they've still persisted. Seriously, I learned Greek for this. And still face a world in which I have doubt, in which I still think about the fact that one day every good blessing and every good thing I've ever done is, is going to gradually just be plucked away. Every last nice thing about my life, everyone that I love is going to move away and fail and decay and die. So yeah, we can actually kind of understand what Mary and Joseph are going through, this experience of looking for Jesus, to look desperately for him and not be able to find him. You know, uh, Lutherans don't actually, we don't talk a ton about uh, Mary, and I suppose that kind of makes sense, right? Like, we don't want to be mistaken for Catholics or something, and let's face it, there's kind of, you could make that mistake on superficially. And so we, we kind of tend to, we don't address her all that often. Uh, but at the bare minimum, at the bare, bare minimum, we, we can absolutely at least say this about Mary. For Jesus' visible time in front of people on earth, nobody knew him better than she did. She had the absolute closest, most intimate personal relationship with visible, walking Christ. Uh, that any human being ever had. At this point, when this account is written, she'd already known him longer than any of his disciples would ever have joined him uh, for his ministry. So it's hard to imagine, and there simply isn't, anybody who was ever as close to or knew Jesus as well as uh, his mother Mary. And yet, even with this astonishingly personal intimate knowledge of Jesus, she still forgot where it was that she should seek him. She still forgot who this was. 
You know, sometimes when we read Jesus' response uh, in these uh, verses, we read it like he's kind of like finger-wagging at her, or scolding her. There's nothing in the Greek to, to suggest that he's, that he's mad at her, or he's, he's giving her a, 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 you know, a scolding. We could definitely read these just as legitimately as absolutely genuine uh, confusion, as complete surprise that they've been looking at all. I have kids. If you, for some reason, for some legitimate reason, like wanted to see my kids and it wasn't school, right? Where is the literal first place that you would look for my kids? Yeah, my house. Yeah, that you would go to their father's house because of course that's where they're going to be, most likely, if, uh, if they, you have no reason to expect that they would be uh, anywhere else. Mary, of all people, should have known to start at his father's house, at his temple. She knew where she should seek Jesus out. But in her fear and in her anxiety and in her terror, she forgot. She doubted. And so her search was futile. We go racing around looking for a sign that Jesus is working in our lives, doing anything. And of course, the most reasonable question to ask ourselves is, well, where did you look? Because we absolutely know where Jesus can be and is found. We find him doing his father's work. The most apparent place that we find him is on the cross, in our place on the cross. His father's work was always going to take him to Jerusalem. His father's work was always going to take him back to that temple that he was at at age 12 to face the Sanhedrin. His father's work was always going to take the retribution that I was supposed to take for my evil life and bear it instead on the cross, transferring all of my evil onto himself and giving me in trade all of his good. His father's work was always going to see him die on Golgotha. The great mercy is that the same patience that Jesus extended to his parents, to his uh, adopted father and to his mother, he extends to us as well. Where I experience pain and anxiety and confusion and fear about my future, God has a place in it. And Jesus has pursued that place with his own life with absolute clarity. I sought Jesus in all the wrong places. And so instead, he reached out and found me. It's worth thinking about at this juncture that there was another three-day-long period in which people were very anxiously not able to see Jesus. The disciples had every good reason to be terrified over those three days. They had just watched Christ get crucified. From a human perspective, they had, they had better reason than anybody to be worried. But after three days of terror and isolation, when the woman went to the grave uh, to visit Jesus, they found an angel there. 
with the same confusion. Why are you looking for somebody who's alive inside of a grave? Even when Mary Magdalene was standing right next to him, she didn't realize it until he called her by name. Jesus' whole life story is one of people looking for him in places that he clearly wouldn't be. Where do we find him? We find him doing his father's work. His father's work of saving you. We find him in his father's house. We find him in his word. We find him reaching out to you in love again so that once more you can seek Jesus where he is. Amen.